Hello, and welcome to Into the Void with Will Adolfi. This is episode two. <laughs> and today I chatted with Neil Kelders. Neil is an international speaker, mental health ambassador, and performance and well-being coach. We covered a wide range of mental health topics. We talked about loneliness and suicide, resilience, and learning to love yourself. We also delved deep into Neil's story and heard how he's managed to open up and what tools he now uses to manage his mental health. He's an extremely inspiring man and his story is incredibly touching. This one left me incredibly galvanized and very interested to learn more. Um, I really enjoyed talking to him. So without further ado, Neil Kelders. Thank you, thank you so much for, uh, for, for joining me, man, and for giving me some of your time. No problem at all. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's great to, great to have you here. Um, I thought a great place to begin would just be to just tell people a little bit about what you do, um, mental health side of things, and we'll take it from there, if that's all right. Yeah, um, so I'm based here in Dublin in Ireland and I suppose my journey has taken to me, taken me where I am now, which is I do talks and workshops and events around mental health and well-being. So what I do is I bring my personal journey through mental health and my background in physical uh, sports science, physical and physical health and well-being. And I've married it together to develop kind of uh, courses and talks um, to meet the need of the corporate sector as well as individuals. Hmm. So would you say, Neil, that you have a passion for all things mental health and ultimately being as much help as you can to people in general? Without question, um, I suppose my nature is that of helping others, even to my own detriment, that I would help <laughs> others rather than focus on myself. And I suppose that that deflected responsibility to take control of my own life, in a sense. I hate that word control. I mean, yeah, I rather say manage my own life. But yeah, I, I want to help others. I want people to realize that when you're at your lowest ebb, it's possible to come back out of that and it's possible to see a new life for yourself. So without question, it's my passion. And I'm lucky enough now to work my passion. That's incredible, man. Um that's brilliant. It's great to know that. And from the get go, uh, let's jump back if we can and just hear a bit more about your story and you know where you've come from, what got you to this position. So if you're happy, I'd love to just go back to your childhood even and talk a little bit about you as a child and then though you up until those moments when you found yourself, uh, I guess you could say smothered in the darkness and how you've managed to get yourself to the position that you're in today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no problem. So I currently live in Dublin, which is on the east coast of Ireland, but I'm originally from Kerry, which is on the southwest. So it's about, say, a three and a half hour drive uh, down. And it's beautiful. It's got lakes and um, uh, mountains. And, you know, we had a great childhood. Really, I think of the Goonies when I think of my childhood. <laughs> we lived in a, a cul-de-sac of 10 houses and we all were the same age growing up. So there was about 20 kids. And wow. we were clo close to the town within 10 minute walking distance. But we had a farm actually of fields around us. So we would come back from school, tear off the school uniform into the dirty clothes and off we'd go 
uh, around the fields and the farmer would be cutting hay, we'd be building forts, we'd have trees to hang off with, we'd have rival estates where we'd be doing the old thrones, the stone, the throwing the stones. And, you know, it was just um, breaking branches off trees to make guns, you know, playing football, uh, World Cup if tennis was on, putting the wool across the road from fence to fence to do <laughs> Wimbledon. So, you know, had that normal childhood, really exciting, really adventurous. We had the old haunted house that was in the middle of all these fields. So we had real imaginative childhood, which I, I think is missing for a lot of people these days, unfortunately. So we were very lucky and uh, had the beautiful surroundings of Killarney and County Kerry, the town I'm from. So I had a normal childhood. Um, and my parent, my father worked away, so uh, he's, he was Dutch, so we got to travel to Europe a lot. Back then in the 80s, it was kind of unseen, unheard of. And we would have lived in Saudi Arabia for a year and a half, two years in Jeddah. Um, so I experienced a lot of things through my childhood people would never have experienced back then. Mm. And um, so I was lucky in that sense. Uh, but uh, my father kind of always worked away. So I suppose in a sense, there's a disconnect there straight away. You know, you're, you're a little bit at odds with other families and things like that. Um, so if I went to play my uh, Irish football, Gaelic football or soccer, as we call it here, because we have Irish football, um, I wouldn't have a father present. And I never thought it, it impacted me until the, in the last few years when I revealed about my mental health, when you reflect back mm. what, what that damage can do to a child. And um, so had the normal childhood, you know, went to secondary school. I, the first time I really remember, um, I suppose, thinking there was something uh, wrong with my mental health as such was when I was 15. So I was in my bedroom at my study desk, supposed to be studying. I was the world's worst studier. I hated studying, especially if I didn't like something, I wouldn't study it. If I liked something, I would get it. But I was carving the Liverpool uh, football team on my desk at the time, like Robbie Fowler, Steve McManaman, all these heroes of mine. And I remember writing in my science book, Suicide. So suicide had come to the fore of my mind when I was 15. And I presume it had before that, maybe, you know, the dark times had started before that. But it kind of, I recognized it at 15, I say. And that trend stayed with me for the next 21, 22, 23, 24 years. As in, I thought about suicide constantly, not once a day, but countless times today. Um, because... I didn't get life. I didn't understand it. Uh, why was I feeling like this and everybody seemed to be perfectly normal, having a good time, if there is a normal. And um, uh, as, as this builds, as you go through life, I was the smiley guy, I was the happy guy. P people called me smiley. So that tells you on the outside, externally, I had such a mask on for different occasions. I deflected everything. But inside I was in turmoil. And uh, that was through school. So I might get in a little bit of trouble in school. So if you delve closer, that could have been, that could have been a little bit of awareness for someone, for a teacher. Um, I wasn't bad. I was kind of cheeky. I wasn't interested in school. Um, I loved learning, but it wasn't for me. And I think that as well is, it should be highlighted more in, our, in today's society that not everybody is, 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 um, is made for the the nine to four or whatever the school day is, you know, we learn in different ways. And I definitely do. I, I, I'm more, I think more imaginative and um, 
uh, I can't sit all day at a desk in front of um, um, a board. Hence my working these days. I'm out and about meeting people, which is great. Mm. But yeah, so all through my teens and into college, um, I would have had very low periods where I would have hidden away from people. And I presume people would have said he's moody at times as well, maybe. Or else he's a moody teen. Um, then when I, we were quite a successful football team and stuff like that, so we used to go out on nights out drinking, you know, underage, um, unfortunately, and stuff like that. And then I realised that someone had said to me a couple of years ago, did you have a drink problem? I never saw it as a drink problem because I just did what everybody else did. I went for my pints, then you went on the vodkas and Red Bull, then you whatever, then you got so paralytic, you went home. But there were times I didn't go home, I kept going. And I would keep drinking for three days in a row in my college years. And looking back on it, yeah, Jesus, if I didn't get a, a hold on that, luckily I realised it, it could have spiralled into a problem. And um, I would drink for three, three, four days in a row and meet new people to go drinking with. And it was to escape what I was going through. But of course, the the time after, the period after that, the depression hit, the anxiety hit. And it's a roller coaster. It's not just depression, anxiety. Depression hits, anxiety hits, depression hits, anxiety. So they come hand in hand. It's like a tag team. Um, so that was kind of my life all the way through my 20s and 30s. I couldn't settle. Um, I was in a relationship through all my 20s. We, we settled, we bought a house but it wasn't for me and and again it was because I wasn't settled in my own self and I think that's very very important that I couldn't be something for someone else if I wasn't true to myself and that in the last number of years is only coming to the fore hmm. um, and will I will I tell you about just coming revealing about my mental health problems and why and how I did it or? yeah before we before we get there let's just yeah. you've mentioned a lot there which and thank you yeah. for sharing um i'd just like to kind of key in on a few things that you said perfect so you said a quote unquote a normal childhood you know one that was spent you know having fun it sounded like and yeah surrounded by nature and play that surprises me given the chat that we've had so i just i wondered whether you could just focus in on your childhood and just think about like what it was that you think caused to get you to that point when you were 15 and you were causing uh, and you were thinking suicidal thoughts and yeah. what do you think it was for you i i know what it was in reflection as i was saying i've i've delved into this and i'm actually write, writing it into um a script i'm writing mm. um so as i said uh, so my father um would have worked away a lot and would have been away a lot and sometimes would may not have come home at christmas and think times like that and uh, my my relationship would have might have been a phone call on a sunday but he had come back to ireland and so this this is really personal stuff and i'm, I'm fine with revealing about my personal stuff because that's how i deliver my workshops and events because i need to be true to people i'm not just a speaker i'm a son i'm a brother yeah. i'm an uncle i'm a nephew i'm whatever so this is this is uh, how I want people to associate with me because you need to do that to associate with the people around you. So I'll never forget, it was a February, I, I remember this, I think I was 10 years of age. So my parents used to argue, you know, um, when they were going through their bad times. And it was a February and he was working in Cork and Cork is the next county from Killarney, Kerry. It's an hour down the road. 
so he had come in one day and said he's leaving it was a saturday and um, my mother was distraught and i'm there like what's happening you know you're leaving us and as he left he drove over my mother's foot in his big volvo car and drove off and he was collecting stuff around the house to leave so when i look back at that that was a rejection of me mm. so when i kind of analyze the relationships i've been in with with, with uh, certain girls and stuff and are, are i block it it's because i don't want to be rejected again so i'm afraid of that rejection reoccurring so i had to address that so that's what i truly believe was that focus that i couldn't get close to people or i couldn't tr show my true self right because we think when someone leaves us that it's a reflection of the sum total of their feelings about you yeah you take it personally you think that you weren't good enough yeah but how has your perspective shifted now when you look back at that moment what do you feel it taught you about being a human being you yeah so the biggest thing that we and i know that every one of us do this um we have to let control go so for example say you're driving along in your car and you let someone out of the side street and they don't say thank you and you're there f you what the <laughs> hell bloody you know blah. and it consumes you for a few hours after nearly and that person has gone about their day and they don't have a, they don't have a care in the world they're controlling you without you realizing it okay so they're controlling you without you even realizing it i learned i had to leave things like that go that I can't be consumed in it. So if, if I meet a girl and she doesn't like me or whatever, we break up, I, I've got to deal with the situation and let it go then. And that's what I've become very good at. And that has allowed me to be comfortable with myself wow. and not put the power in someone else's authority. But you see, I suppose when my father left, your father is the authority figure in your life, the, the person you cradled when you were, say, uh, for example, if I was at mass, I was in his arms when I was younger and you get that fatherly smell and, uh, you know, the guy you want to see watch you play football, someone you're supposed to look up to. So that was missing then, you know, and you see other fathers doing that for their kids. So for me, it was, yeah, the rejection of that you take personally. What did I do that wrong? What's wrong with us? Why aren't we good enough? But but also, how could you do this to us? Mm. You know, um, you're supposed to be there for us. And then my mother had to become the man in a sense. And back then, the husband did a lot of the thing, you know, did a lot of the, the pain of the bills, did this, did that. So my mother had to learn all of this to become a lot stronger. So you think it was your dad leaving that kind of, you could say, pulled out the rug from your very playful and imaginative childhood all of a sudden it was shattered and would you i mean chaos is a word that comes to mind it, it sounds like chaos just all of a sudden intruded on your your life and showed you a part of reality that you weren't aware of perhaps and i can imagine that being incredibly shocking to see your dad leave um and run over your mum's foot in the process i mean that sounds like he was in a rush to to go and, and leave whatever yeah. it was behind. You're a child, you're not supposed to be exposed to that in a sense. And this doesn't mean that um, couples should stay together for the sake of their kids. And I, I just want to lay, this is one important thing. I know a lot of couples that are together and they shouldn't be and they're not happy and they stay together for the sake of the kids. You will be better parents if you just break and make that split 
and you'll become friends and you'll be better parents. So I'm not saying stay together. What I'm saying is the way the manner ours was done. It was dragged out. Uh, my father was never up front. He was never real. He was, you know, he hid behind things. He never was just honest because I don't have a relationship with him now. And people always ask, do you want one? I say no, because he has never been honest with us, never respected us. And but there's pl there are plenty of fathers who have done what he's done and they've worked hard to get back in their kids lives. You yeah. see, so um, that that for me was a lesson and I had to learn that way. And I and again, a thing for me was I didn't want to be like him. So then I was cagey about relationships, even friendships, because I didn't want to be like him. Do you feel you need him now, Neil? No. Right. No, because my I have two brothers. They're both five years and five years older than me, 10. So they were, my eldest brother is more of a father figure to me. Now he's more of a friend. Um, I've grown a lot on my own. My mother did a lot for us. And um, I don't need him because I don't, I, I'm very much people that I don't respect are people that I don't think will benefit me in my life. I, I moved to the side and he would be one of those people. Hmm. I'd like to, before we move on and like start getting into the things that you have done, the things you have discovered that have really helped you get to where you are now and what you talk about, the resilience, everything in that ballpark at your talks. Um, I'd like to just really try and explain what it's like to feel that disconnection from the world that so many people are feeling and i can't help but think of sartre jean paul sartre's novel nausea um have you read that did we have a talk about that no, no. right um well in it he kind of basically describes uh, in first person what it's like to have that alienation from the world and eckhart tolle as well beautifully yeah. describes it when he talks about being in a shopping center and looking at people w walking around with these bags and then leaving and just how strange it is what, what they're all doing and I, I, that just really resonated with me because for me it's the, it's the lack of connection um, within and to our family members or to everyone around us that means that we can't receive or we don't even know how to give or receive love and without love as a human you are going to suffer I, I firmly believe that and you have to feel it in some way so I just wondered if you could maybe I don't know just pinpoint um, an example of how that would kind of show how you were feeling at that time I mean you're not the only 15 year old I'm sure that gets kind of fascinated by this idea of suicide it is something that a lot of 15 year olds do and I, I wonder why it is that we have those thoughts um, and just like to key in on that a bit if you have anything to say on that um i suppose you know i always the one thing i always say is what was my po my point and what i mean by that is what was my purpose i didn't know what it was and it seemed like everybody else knew what they were doing so for example my brother had four kids was that his point was that his purpose mm what was mine and I was lost I didn't know that and you know days became boring because I didn't know where I wanted to go or what I wanted to be but I also didn't see that I was going to continue on in life so you lose that hope you lose the, the interest of being here um, and 
for me, it's it's just a, a darkness, a loneliness, uh, an energy sapping way of life because you're trying to mask all the time what what's deep inside and what you're not. Um, and you don't see that you will ever have what other people have or what you perceive other people have. And you think it's out of your grasp and eventually you think, I tried. Life isn't for me. Like I tried, say, running. It just wasn't for me. Or I tried football. It wasn't for me. I tried. It's time to go. And that's why I say it was time to close my eyes to the world. Are mm. there any instances that come to mind? Um, I'm trying to think now. <laughs> yeah. um, there's, there are so many. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to uh, think. Well, I can give you one of mine, perhaps. And then yeah. Yeah, maybe you can. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I remember lying in a bathtub when I was 16 and looking at my arm and thinking, whose arm is that? Yeah. It was, it was a very bizarre moment. I, you, you, you just feel, like you said, it disconnected. And why would you want to learn anything if you don't yeah. feel there's any purpose to anything? Because in order to be motivated to learn, you've got to think that, what you're learning is going to be useful and there's utility in it. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, what's the point? And that's the thing that for me, school lacked. I didn't yeah. see any purpose in what I was learning because I didn't understand life and school wasn't teaching me anything about how to be a human. It was, it was teaching, you know, things to remember about history and other languages and, there were lots of interesting things now. Now I look back, I would be like, oh, I'd love to do a history lesson now. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's a similar story across all my friends that didn't like school. In their 20s, when they start to, I guess you say, learn the ways of your own mind, um, you just have, you find this real, you know, here we are, I'm doing a podcast. You know, you just find this real desire to want to learn. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. I, I yeah. just want to talk to interesting people and I just want to learn as much as I can because I do feel a purpose now I do feel like I'm part of something bigger and perhaps without I mean if you do have an example do drop it in but I'd love to shift the conversation now to uh, what you've been doing and also this idea of faith because we do live in a post I guess you could say Christian world most of our generation and the generations around us don't believe in God anymore and I've been thinking about this and I do feel that's left a hole within so many of us. And it means that there's a lack of faith. And I'm not talking about in a religious kind of faith, yeah. but I'm talking about a faith that everything is happening for a reason. And it gives you the ability to look at the hardships. For example, your dad leaving. Um, or my parents getting divorced and instead of thinking why me I can now think oh that happened for me I've learned so much from that and you're turning each of these kind of dark moments into your life you're turning them into something that's actually useful and that you can grow to get you to the next chapter and the faith element comes from well, it is, it's blind in a sense, but I'm starting to develop it. And it's incredibly exciting once you are able to let go, like you were saying, let go and just 
be in touch with the kind of ebbing and flow of life more and just trust that it is going in a direction that you will be happy with rather than trying to manipulate and control out of fear what you want your reality to be which is what I've been doing for so long um does that is that can you relate to that in any way yeah just like uh with faith um just uh just want to touch on one thing is it's funny because my mother would be we're catholic and my uncle is a priest he was a missionary he's one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet in your life and um but my mother you know goes to mass every morning it's, it was her thing it carried her through and you can say whatever you want about the catholic church but for me that was her thing you know that 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 what got her through her situation so who am i to judge what she uses as her faith as her crutch right for me um i so i suppose just to touch on as well i suppose and again i never realized that i've eight buddies that have died throughout my life for different reasons eight friends hmm. uh from cancer to cystic fibrosis to drowning to whatever and one thing i'd wow. like to think is that they are alive or sorry that that they are in heaven in a sense because it gives me hope that i will see them again so i would go in and i would light a candle in a church or something like that or i would go to their graveyard and that gives me a little bit of i don't attend mass i'm not very religious but that little bit gives me gives me something um and it carries me through um well you i'm trying to think what the second part of your question was sorry you were saying um your faith is, oh yeah so um you were saying people yeah i was just kind of drawing upon the fact that there's a lack of religion nowadays yeah. um but it hasn't been replaced with anything if anything it's no. been replaced with nihilism and you know i, I i've tried nihilism <laughs> it's not fun <laughs> it really isn't yeah. thinking that life is meaningless and then going around and going doing a job and then you know it just doesn't make any sense like i'm not, i'm not yeah. act i'm not acting as if there that life is meaningless but i'm saying it and it to me that's a choice um and i was yeah. choosing to think it was meaningless i've tried that it all it did was lead me into a pit of despair and anxiety yeah. you know but um, we we have to have a, as you said you have to have a purpose okay Even, like so for example the the one where if you're working away you win the lottery hundreds of millions and you say i'm leaving my job and people ask you what are you going to do next and you don't know there's a void there Life isn't about money. Life isn't about end point. Life is uh, your journey and what, you, what your journey is. So for me, I changed that from working nine to five to doing whatever to, to working my position now, to doing acting and writing, to finding my passions, what my purpose was. Um, and people don't find that because they're lost in their humdrum days. And mm. um, they, they continue on to, to work for their Friday, mm. to live for their weekend. Whereas yeah. I've turned that upside down, you've turned that upside down, I presume, and and you've changed it. So, w what have you found that that your purpose is that you're working towards? Well, I, I mean, doing the podcast is definitely a part of that. Yeah. Having conversations, uh, creating a space for creatives to be able to connect and work, yeah, um, for sure. But let's talk about how people can find their purpose because it's so easy to say it, but I still struggle. You know, COVID-19 has left a lot more time on all our hands. And I think yeah. I've seen it. We're going to, in the coming years, we are going to 
look back and we'll have more of an idea of the repercussions but it has been devastating for so many people who realize that without their jobs kind of distracting them and ticking them over and getting them through yeah, the week they have nothing genuinely nothing i heard a tragic story of a mother who drunk herself to death um the other day and it broke my heart because i can't imagine how alone she must have felt in lockdown on her own and to drink yourself to death is one hell of a task um, yeah. but she did it and so i think let's talk about how you can find your purpose because although i've got all these things going on i it's a work in progress like you said all these things are if they feel like they have to be practiced daily in order to really kind of get them in but how did you find your purpose because i had to sit down and evaluate my life and i, I actually so when i revealed about my mental health i had to sit down i stopped what i was doing i stopped my work i actually stopped because mm. i had to find myself and this is all find yourself whatever but i had to find myself because i was going to die otherwise I had to sit down and say, okay, what's not, not right in my life? So I always say, uh, if you change nothing, nothing changes. And people say, I don't have a choice. Not having a choice is a choice. Okay. So if you change nothing, nothing changes. So I told you I was in Kerry and I was in Kerry after my relationship. I had the house still in Kerry. And um, then I said, look, I'm going to move to Dublin. Maybe things will change. So I made a change. It was great, it was, but it hadn't changed my mind. It wasn't in my head. My head was still thinking the same thoughts, going through the same processes. Yeah. But it actually helped, it was a stepping stone, but I reverted back to my negative thinking, my depression, my anxiety very quickly, my suicidal ideation. So, but I had made that change, that was a stepping stone. It was a bit more positive and it's hard to drag yourself up. And then I had, for the year I took off, I was in Dublin when I revealed about my mental health to my sister-in-law one morning who knew nothing about it. No one did. And um, I eventually went to uh, Piqueta House, an organization for, su for suicidal ideation and self-harm and got counseling there. But I realized I had to take a year off, think about things, find interests, not do nothing. Mm -hmm. That's when I found acting. That's so powerful, man. Just to key in on that one sec, buddy. Like, it sounds as if your body, it's like when you're in that much pain, it's your body telling you fucking change. <laughs> you know, yeah. make a change. And this is what I mean about us being part of something bigger. We don't choose what we're interested in. You know, in a way, and that's what we call potential. It's like, I'm, I'm not interested in um, mechanical engineering. You know, if I was to yeah. sit in front of a mechanical engineer lecturer, <laughs> I would be so bored. Um, yeah. And that's kind of like, who decides that? Not me or my sense of self. So you weren't listening to what was within you for so long. And that's well, possibly why, would you say? Well, no, because I, 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 I did a sports science degree. And I loved sport and I never knew what I, I think at 18 you're too young, young to know what you want to do for the rest of your life. They're like, what? Do I right. want to be an accountant? I always think, <laughs> friends who are accountants, how boring must you be at 18 to know you want to be a, a lawyer or an accountant? Do you know what I mean? But that's, that, I say that's my friends all the time. And so I did a five-year sports degree, but I loved sport. And then during the courses there, okay, I love sport, but, you know, right. uh, do I want to follow this through? So I did follow it through just for the sake of it. But then I studied law. I loved law. I bloody well loved it. And I wanted to become a barrister. But I said, do I want to work 10 years without probably earning money and then try to break into the industry and whatever? So I finished my law degree. 
I was going to do the barrister exams. I went into the first one and I left it after 20 minutes. I sabotaged myself because I had imposter syndrome. I felt I shouldn't be there. People are laughing at me. And right. so I have tried things, but I haven't followed them through either as well because we referred earlier. I didn't think there was any point to because I didn't think I'd be around anyway. What's the point? Um, so, so you I felt you that you were actually going to commit suicide? Oh, yeah. Every day I knew it because my only thing stopping me was because my mom was on her own at home. Wow. And that was my one thing I said, uh, and I see I'm the youngest, so I'm her baby. I'm, I'm, I'm 40 years of age and I'm still her baby. Uh, so um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I know what it would have caused. And even though I had a friend of mine in 2013, one of my childhood friends from Clarny, that state, the cul-de-sac I lived in, he took his life in 2013. And even though I saw all the pain around, I still wanted to do it. I was jealous of him because he was free and I wasn't and what was he so free from had, he was free from that pain that we go through that never ending exhausting pain where you just want to sleep right. right and he had that he had the light at the end of the tunnel and for me the light at the end of the tunnel was death not life um so you know and then that year i took off i had always kind of you know thought about acting but when i came from, from kerry um it wasn't a real thing to do, you know, you either went to college, you did whatever. So I was able to do, you know, evening courses and tests, improv and and um, and acting. And I fell in love with it. <laughs> and every night of the week I was out. Every night of the week doing something. But that was a problem in itself as well. Because I was active, which is very important. But when I remember one Wednesday, the acting class was cancelled and I was there. Holy shit. What the fuck am I going to do now? What am I going to do? Because I was going to be alone with my thoughts. And so you were going to feel empty. Yeah. But I was alone with my head. And I was there. How could they do this to me? <laughs> that was yeah. my thinking. Yeah. And then I realised I had to learn to be okay on my own. And the amount of people in life who are not okay on their own. You know those friends throughout our life who've gone from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship straight away without ever being on their own. Mm. And if you can't be on your own, how can you truly be with someone else? That's my thinking. You know, you have to learn about yourself. My process since I revealed about my mental health has me been about learning about myself. What I tell people in my talks, in my coaching sessions and this is the worst thing you ever want to hear when you're so depressed is access your own power and by that I mean take responsibility hmm. and you don't want to hear that am I over my struggles no I get my dark days still but I've brought myself so far that I can I'm productive through it I can get through it it doesn't last as long it's not the three four day stints I was in bed you know I'm able to be productive at my level out in society but um, yeah, that day, uh, you know, the Wednesday, I was not going to acting. I had to, I, that, that was a click for me that I realized, okay, okay, I need to start learning about this. How do I do this? How do I find myself? Uh, and simple things I used to do is on a Sunday, I would go into a pub restaurant kind of for food and it would be busy with families and couples. And I'd go in on my own and I'd sit at a seat and have something to eat, which is one of the hardest things you will ever do in your life when everybody else is laughing and joking with their families and you sit there and you eat your dinner on your own. 
So that was my test for myself on a Sunday. Wow. And then you notice, oh, look at her. She's on her own. Oh, look at him. He's on her own. So you're not very different and no one's watching you. No one's caring, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, it makes it very hard in this Instagram age to to feel like you're not alone being alone, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. these yeah. Instagram stories, and I've actually deleted it this last month and tried to sort of space myself out from my phone. And I find I'm reminding myself that everyone gets these low moments and that yeah. I'm not special for getting them. But rather... I just want to key in on the emptiness because you were saying, you know, for me, it's that empty feeling. You feel empty and you want to fill that emptiness with something. It's like a lack of connection. It feels like you fell in love with this acting thing um, and you felt connected to something, a craft. But it sounds like you were relying on it. You were relying on it for a source of connection. Yeah. But rather, you're saying we need to learn to connect with ourselves. And I've heard okay. that over and over and it's like i know it's true but how do we connect with ourselves you have to learn about yourself mm. so i can tell you how i connected maybe you can get ideas from that but you have to learn about yourself we're different the beauty about being human is we're all so different if you're an identical twin you're still different from your from your 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 twin um but the, 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 the pain in the ass about that from depression and anxiety is there's not one hat fits all. <laughs> it, that's, that's life, you know, that's the way it is. So my thing is you have to learn about yourself and I can share with you ideas and tools, but you, maybe we can help you adapt it to meet your needs. So you have to learn what's not working with you. So every day you wake up, something's stressing you. Find out why, what is it? Ask yourself, why is that? Oh, say Monday's not a good day for you. It's the start of a week. Why? Because mm. I hate work. Why do you hate work? No, but you know what I mean. I know. It's, no, it's, no. I'm like, sorry. Yeah, I'm on board. Don't no, worry. But you, yeah, but you like, I, I used to work in an office, right? Yeah. And uh, I was bullied by my manager, my line manager, and uh, a, a woman, and she micromanaged me. And every day I went into the office, I would see her car in the car park and I would drop. My head would drop. And all the, this is another thing that obviously my friends dying, my father leaving, uh, this bullying by her um, did lead, obviously it impacted my mental health as well, obviously. So, and, and you never, what we do is we never deal with the little traumas through our life. So it's like a pressure cooker. So some way it's just going to explode. And that explosion for a lot of people is, is, uh, is taking their own life. Hmm. Or, you know, or alcohol or whatever. Um, and uh, I used to see her car and it would drop. And I remember I went to the HR eventually about it. And about four people had left their positions before me because of her. And I went to the HR and there was a committee. And uh, I was told, if you were two fellas, sure you would box the head off each other and get it out of the way. Hmm. If we were two fellas, we'd punch the head off each other and get it out of the way. After I looked out the window and they said, oh, you're not interested. Well, I said, after a comment like that, how could I be? So I knew I was getting nowhere and I had to make a decision. I left. No job lined up. I left. Because my mental health was far more important than dealing with her every day. And putting up with that and uh, for, for, for money. And I still had a mortgage to pay. So that's what I mean. You have to learn about yourself. People, I have friends that are in great jobs in various companies, getting great money, and some of them have surprised me and said, Jesus, uh, um, what you've done is amazing, as in you move to Dublin, you're doing whatever you enjoy, your, every day seems different for you, you, you do whatever. 
And I said, yeah, but I had to work it. I'd made a decision. You can do it too. Oh, I can't. I can't. And they, in 20 years time, are going to look back in their life and say, what the hell did I do? And I do believe no one will ever make that change. You know the way they say on your deathbed, people always look back and say, I wish I did something different. And I know, say, for example, if my mother was on her deathbed, I'd know it's, I'm going to change my life and it would last for two weeks and we'd revert back to the way we are. It's not until you are on your own deathbed would you think that way. So how can you get into that mentality before it is your time to leave this earth? How mm. can you get into that deathbed mentality? Mm. And that's, that's the way I look at it. Well, I definitely think preparing, we don't have to go down this route. I think we should stay clear of it, but because we're talking about other things. But yeah, I do think being in touch with the fact that we are going to die is, is a great way of getting motivation to make those changes now. You know, and we do shy away from that. We do, we, I do, like, we're in a death phobic culture for sure. And I've definitely added that to my kind of self love practice, I guess you could call Because it, oh God, it's so important, your message there, because learning the ways of your mind is the only way of kind of identifying the behavior patterns that have been with you since you were a child and that keep getting you yeah. into these situations so that that's one of the things i realized that it, it was re repeating um, themselves these situations that i was getting myself into and it was all happening for a reason and until you start to make sense of that i know journaling is something you do definitely something yeah. i do writing down these thoughts but inquiring into why it all starts with that question why you know what is my why and why am i thinking like this yeah. and once you begin to inquire you'll get the answers that you're looking for. And in a sense, and this is the religious aspect to it, you could say that that is a prayer because you are asking yourself why and you will get a response. You'll, you will come up with one in your head. You know, why am I feeling like I am dreading Monday morning? Oh, because I don't like work. Why do I not like work? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. And it's a daily practice and it's counterintuitive because we do often get really comfortable with our pain and where we're at if we are in pain. And making changes is scary because it's the fear of the unknown. I know I felt really scared about that. But once you dive in and you start to learn more about yourself, it becomes incredibly empowering and freeing. And yeah. you realize that you had it. It was on you the whole time. It was that, on you just the say, whole time. Yeah. When you ask why, 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 when it comes down to it, you realize it's something you can do to change or it's, it's something about you. And that's what I think we want to block out. We don't want to, we don't want to accept it. We don't want it to be that easy in the sense that I can change something. So, for example, if my head is, is uh, wrecked, so I do meditation, I do exercise. And I know if after three days, if I have an exercise, my anxiety kicks in. Mm. But then it's very easy for me to continue, to continue on the next day to not. So what's the point in doing exercise? But I have to break it and get out there. And it is down to me to break it. That's what I mean about taking responsibility. It's down to you at the end of the day. Not saying all those secondary supports aren't essential, like family, friends, counselling, books, whatever they are. But you, if you sit down to study for an exam, I think I said this to you before, if you sit down to study for an exam, you can have the best uh, tutors, teachers, uh, notes, um, peer groups, whatever. But if you don't read those words, none of the supports are going to be a benefit to you, right? 
if mm. you don't read those words on your sheets. And it's the same thing. If you don't accept what's happening to you, where your situation is, then you can never really address it. So you need to sit down and stop and say, okay, where am I? What's wrong? Okay, <sighs> this is happening to me. That's it. Then you can address it. Then you can move forward. And taking action is moving forward. It can be the smallest step. It can be an angular step, you know, a sideways mm. forward step. It doesn't have to be massive steps, but you just keep moving forward and you change one bloody thing. Change something so simple. If you're not exercising, if you feel like crap, and exercising is very important, not because it's an industry I was in and it's something I couldn't do myself, even getting out for five minutes because it will start, start energizing you through the day. It will start you focusing on better sleep it'll have a knock-on effect like that. Hmm. So finding something. But when you question yourself asking the why, 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 you will realize it's down. It, it, the buck stops at you at the end of the day. Yes. Yeah. But, it, yeah. but one of the, it's funny though, one of the things I stopped, two questions I kind of stopped asking myself around my mental health itself was why am I being getting depression all the time? Why me? Why me? Why me? And when is it going to end? Now those questions are irrelevant to me. I don't, I don't ask why am I the one getting, having depression, anxiety and all this. And when is it going to stop? Because it doesn't matter. Because now I'm so comfortable in a sense with it that I have worked so hard and I have the tools in place that it doesn't matter if it comes. I'm able to work with it and move through it. And that's where you want to get. I hate these people that say you can work in it, you can get rid of it. How can you tell someone you can get rid of it? How do you know what's down the road for you? What obstacles you're going to face? You don't. Some obstacle may trigger it. You may have a depress depressive period for a certain period of time. Whereas mine was a continuous one for over 21, two years. You know? Yeah. So you need to manage it, work with it. And when you get to the stage where you say, why am I being depressed all the time? I'm not talking about that you don't delve into it. I'm just saying, poor me, why me? Why, wh I say, why not me? Why am I so bloody special? And when is it going to end? It doesn't matter. It could end tomorrow. It could be gone forever. It may never end, but I will work and I will live the life I, I want to live. And that's what life is about. It's about living what you want to live. And that is lost. I never want, again, to work for a weekend. I work on a Saturday, I'll be doing some work later on a Saturday and a Sunday and it's things I love to do and it's different things every day. I couldn't tell you what a Monday is. It's like, you know, that Christmas time period when you don't know what day is what day? Yeah. That's what it's like for me in my life. And that's <laughs> how oh man, that's such a beautiful message and I've got so much respect for you, but I really have. And yeah, it's just, oh, it's just looking around and seeing what you have rather than what you don't have and it's yeah. all it's all in front of you already and since i've started and this is something i think is worth mentioning because i realized for ages that i didn't love like i didn't love myself i didn't like yeah. the ugly parts of me the impulsive yeah. part the fantasizer the needy person who's craving love i you know the ego side i just really didn't actually respect myself fully um yeah. and i began to realize that that also had an effect on my relationships with pretty much everyone um around me 
And therefore, if I wanted to improve my relationships with my parents, in particular, my brother, my sister, then I had to work on myself. So it feels counterintuitive. It feels selfish, like, oh, I have to have self-love. But you have to have that self-love before you can improve and show compassion to other people. You have to show it to yourself. And Totally. And I realized as well that I was judging my parents. I was like, why am I judging my parents the whole time? It's because I see my flaws, the ones that I don't like. I see them in them. Yeah. And the last month that I've really been putting this kind of self-love stuff to practice. Oh, man, the moments of gratitude and joy and connection and love that I felt between my family is just it's so incredible and it also made me have so much empathy for everyone else that perhaps hasn't experienced this because it's not yes. that it's not that the love isn't there it's that the love is getting lost in translation and yeah. that's the tragic thing there is love and I firmly believe this that there is love in everyone's life and it is a tragedy when someone takes their own life because it's not because the love wasn't there. It's because they weren't receiving it and it got lost somewhere along the road. And it's been there the whole time in my family. I just haven't been in a place to receive it or give it. And as soon as these barriers dropped down and I began to start talking to myself as if I was someone worthy of love, as if I was someone that, that I speak to that I love, you know, yeah. I began to realize that I'm just another human and yeah. I'm trying the best that I can. And so is my mum, so is my dad, so is everyone I meet. We're all doing the best that we can. And that's the shift from fuck you, man, cutting me up to, oh, that guy's another human. And there's a million things that could be going on in his life right now. I bid him good day and I'm going to crack on with my life. You know, that's that's the shift. That's where I want to go um, because... I've sat with my dad for many years and seen him cut people off and it's nasty. No, <laughs> but you yeah. know what I mean? Uh, you know, you're like, and that's what I said, self-love and self-learning. That's what it's all about, you know? And, uh, you know, I was always of the mindset, how could anybody ever love me? No one would ever love me. So in relationships, even when I was in my long-term relationship, she was very much in love with me, but I was like, how could you be? So you block it. And eventually you, you push people away with that, you know? So you're not open to receiving it. Can I just mention one thing about suicide? If, yes, if that's please. okay. So I've had uh, one of my childhood friends in 2013 uh, take his life and my cousin last year took his life. And my cousin studied psychology as well and we talked about mental health. But um, just one thing about suicide is I just want to say, and this is what I get asked a lot, a lot and I tried to explain in my talks, it's not a selfish act. It's it's a person believing that they're doing their the last thing that they can in order to free themselves of their pain and mm. it's the only way um, even though they love their family they love the surroundings um, and they know the pain they'll cause the pain that they're suffering is just far greater yeah and they think the only way and they believe, as I believed, I've d I had done everything I could. I exhausted every resource, every tool. They, had, they believe they've done that, and this is their last um, action that they can take, and the only way. So I always refer to Robin Williams, and I think in his 60s, you know, he oh, achieved so God. much. 
um, he'd yeah. done this, that. But I do believe he couldn't go on for another 20. I know he had other ailments as well, but I don't think he could go on for another 20 years struggling the way he did. You know, even though people knew about it, even though he was addressing it, he still went back into that dark hole. Uh, this is my opinion. And I don't think he could go on for another 20 years to struggle. That's how enormous that pain is. Yeah. And um, people believe they're doing the best thing. And that's just what the one thing I've always wanted to say about suicide is, is that's what I believed as well, is that um, that's my only way out. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think until you've, and there've been a couple of moments in my life where you do, you know, you sink that low, and it's frightening, like it's so scary, isn't it? You just, yeah, you don't know what you're gonna do because the pain is unquenchable, and and in that moment, the best, the better decision feels like the relief and the release of death. Um, but I would say, Neil, that I think that in that moment, something has to die, but it's not the person. But I can understand why people, and have obviously the complete utmost compassion for someone like Robin Williams, because clearly he couldn't have gone on for 20 years feeling the way that he was feeling. And... I don't know his situation at all, but if, if you've exhausted what feels like you've exhausted every avenue and you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and it's just not working and you can't see a future, then it makes logical sense in a way why you would take that and make that decision. Yeah. But I still feel like everyone can be healed. Um, the only thing you can't heal is death. That's the way I feel. Totally. Oh, no, no, you're so right. And I can guarantee you, say, if someone were to hang themselves and someone caught them in mid-act, that person would reflect and say, geez, I'm never going to do that again. Right. There are so many right. people that have taken their lives and I can guarantee in mid-act would say, oh, shit, what am I doing? But it's obviously too late. You can't heal it, as you said. The thing is, that's why I say you have to take responsibility. With your mental health, you have to take responsibility. Stop relying totally on, oh, Jesus, I feel like this. I can't wait for my counseling session in a week's time. So you're going to feel like shite for, for a full week. No, that doesn't work because it's going to happen again and again and again. Yep. You have to put in place the tools and a strategy for yourself to bring yourself out of it, to manage it. And that's why I'm saying, stop getting bogged down. When is it going to leave me? Why me? You know, who cares? deal with the situation move through it I've had to do that and I still go through it and I, I hid my mental health for 21 years nobody knew about it and I hid it alone because I didn't face and I wasn't dealing with it so for example talking people say this is what gets me people say talk it's very easy to tell someone to talk first of all they're talking about something they don't understand about themselves they don't know how to translate it Next thing, they're going to be talking to someone that won't fully understand what they're talking about. Okay? So if you're the person receiving someone to talk to you, you don't have to understand. Just be there. Just listen. Don't direct them. Don't give them guidelines. Listen to what they have to say. The first time I talked to my sister-in-law, I swear to God, it was unbelievable. It felt like all my troubles were gone. I was there, whoa, Jesus, I'm fine. And she's there distraught in the corner. What the hell, you know? And I was there, ah, oh, sure, I'm grand now. I'll talk to you later. Good old Irish saying. And she goes, you've just revealed 
that you what? <laughs> and she was there like, what? And I said, I'll, I'll talk to you later. And um, then I, and that, I'll actually, like, do you have, t- are we near the end? Uh, or? No, we can keep going for as long as we want, buddy. So. Yeah, I just have, so the day I talked was, um, I still don't know why I talked. It's it's weird. I did a video, I have this video where I, I was saying it's time to close my eyes to the world. And on a morning, I would call into my sister-in-law for a cup of coffee. And I was looking out to the backyard and they have a trampoline and a basketball net. And I would, she, they've got four kids, my brother and my sister-in-law, and I'm very close to them, very, very close to the kids. And I'd go out and play basketball, jump on the trampoline, you know, we'd have a laugh. And it was good times where I would go when I was low, because with a kid, you can only be in the moment, you know, and they only see, they don't care about anything else, they see you. So I was looking out and eventually I just said, I can't do this anymore. And she said, what, work or, you know, so you remember nobody has ever known about my mental health. And I said, no, life, like, I, I want to die. And she, what? So then I had to explain to her how she would comprehend it. And I explained through, the, through my th- speaking about my four uh, nieces and nephews. And I said, Saoirse is the eldest. Saoirse is my goddaughter as well. And I said, even though Saoirse uh, will have a 21st birthday in a couple of years, I won't be there. Or an 18th birthday, I won't be there. Even though she won't be able to text me to see if I can help her with um, uh, some training or go for a run with her. And uh, then Cueve is the next one who loves gymnastics. And she jumps on top of me all the time, all over me. Yeah. And I said, even though she won't be able to do that again or we won't go for a cake together again. Um, and I know that I'll cause her great pain as well. I have to go. And then there's Patrick who uh, asked me for advice about the gym. We go rock climbing together and stuff like that, even though he'll never be able to do that with me again. And I know he'll have pain. I, I have to go. And then Liam is the youngest. Liam would call me when he's finished a, a football game and he'd say, Neil, I scored a goal or whatever. Even, or I'll go to his game, even though he, I'll never be on that sideline again. I have to go because my pain is far greater than the pain I will cause any of my family. Yeah and she was there Jesus okay and what and I uh, she's married to my eldest brother and he was in his office working and I said jeez I'm I'm fine now I feel great and she's there Neil but it was unbelievable the power of talking it removed the pressure of 20 odd years oh my Uh, god yes and I just talked right so then I said I'll see you later she goes what are you doing Uh, I said look I I actually have to do something down just the village here uh, close to their house um, so she goes please come back I said I will so I said don't tell my brother <laughs> of course she's not going to tell my brother what like you know <laughs> and uh, so I went away and I came back and it's funny because they have a big black door and in the front door in the middle of the door they have a window you can see through so when you ring the doorbell you can see who's coming so I rang the doorbell and who comes walking towards us my brother and I said oh Jesus and I go here we go he's going to tell me do this this so sometimes family like my sister-in-law, she's been in our family for 30 years or whatever, but still a little bit removed as in she's not my brother who would direct me or my mother. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So uh, uh, I said, oh, here we go. So sometimes family isn't the best to tell. It's the person, the friend or the close friend or the cousin or something like that. So he opened the door and I said, OK, here we go now. Jesus. So he brings me in. And this is probably the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> wow. He brings me in, doesn't say a word. And he hugs me. And it was that hug I used to get from my mom when I was younger. You know, the one where you've fallen or you're upset and you think everybody think 
can, will be okay. Yeah. I had this thought while he hugged me. And we're grown men, we don't hug. <laughs> and I had this thought of, do you know what, maybe, maybe things will be okay. And it was unbelievable. So uh. we just went into the kitchen and we sat down and he said, look, I called Pieta House. They will meet you now. I said, I'm not going, I'm fine. And he said, um, come on. So we drove in. And it's so surreal, right? Because you're driving into this place, which is an organization dealing with people for mental health, suicide and, and self-harming, suicidal ideation. So I'm driving in and I'm there thinking, shouldn't this be under the darkness of night or I should be driving into a cellar basement or something, you know? And uh, I get out of the car and I'm walking in and what hit me was there were loads of teenagers there. And I started like, what? Jesus, guys, what, you know, what issues could you have? But wasn't I that teenager when I was 15? But they are streets ahead of me because they are starting to deal with their problems. So what I'd say to people is if you know of someone having a mental health problem, that is brilliant because they're on track. They're on the road. It's the people that we don't realize. That's mm -hmm. why statistics will never be true because I, I couldn't have been a statistic because nobody knew, right? So one in four for me is one in two people that will suffer in their lifetime. So you can't have a statistic if it's not been revealed. So I went in, I sat down, you sit down in a reception area. And I was there, what? Shouldn't I be like in some isolation place in darkness and they come in and talk to you? And then I realized, but isn't that where the stigma comes from in a sense, you know, that we think it should be away in a castle or something like that, rather than it's just like a visit to a GP's office, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. to a doctor's. So I went in and they said, do you want a cup of tea? And I met the counselor. And this is another point I want to make. People say counseling doesn't work for them. I think every one of us should do counseling. It's not the counseling process that doesn't work for you. It's the person you're dealing with. So if you go to a personal trainer, you may not click with that trainer. You need another trainer. Same thing with a counselor. Do not stop until you found the right one. And I eventually found the right one. And she said to me, Neil, I'm going to have to challenge you because I analyze everything. I throw things back at her to try to confuse them. And she was brilliant. She goes, I'm going to have to challenge you safely. And that's what we did. We went 30, 15 sessions. She extended it to 30 sessions. Yeah. And um, before the end of the 30 sessions, she said, Neil, I am I'm going to have to stop our sessions. And I said, what do you mean? I knew what she meant. Um, because I was just giving her the replies she wanted. I was just going through the run. I had run my course with her and she knew that and she wanted to pass me on to someone else, which was amazing. She let her ego to decide. And she was for the betterment of me as her patient, which is incredible. So you find the right person. So the last thing I'll say about talking is I didn't talk then to anybody. My brother had asked me a couple of weeks after I first revealed, is everything OK? I said, yeah, perfect. Sure. Why wouldn't it be? And I was actually down the dumps. I was in bed for three days. Nobody knew. And I didn't talk again because I believed I had I had used my get out of jail card. I couldn't talk again. You talk, you talk, you talk because wouldn't your family rather hear you talking to them so they get the chance to do something about it? Wouldn't they prefer that rather than you taking your life and never having that chance? Give them that chance. Wouldn't you like that chance to, for someone to talk to you? Of course you would, because you'd try and help them. You'd do your best for them. So give that person, they deserve it. Give them that chance. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, I mean never underestimate the power of talking it really is just the most incredible thing and 
that moment where you received a hug just brings me back to what I was saying earlier. The love was there the whole time, the whole time. And it's a tragedy when people go through lives without ever feeling what was there the whole time or seeing what was there the whole time. And the fact that you were at breaking point and you made a move, you spoke and in a sense you had nothing left to lose because you were certain you were going to leave. And so when people get to that point, perhaps there's a logic in saying, well, if you've got, if you're going to kill yourself, just talk, try talking, see what happens. You've got nothing to lose. And it's so, I don't know what that is, but like when you get trapped in your head and when you're alone, you can't identify with anything. There's no connection to anything else. So you do, in a sense, feel like you're dying. It's, it's yeah. a, it's a very kind of, it's like an, an ego death or something. And so your ego is trying to cling on and what's the closest thing that it can latch onto. And that's pain, you know, because it, yeah, it's totally. so easy to put yourself in a negative frame of mind and all it takes is a few negative thoughts and there you go and and just to finish on what you were saying about talking but also listening because that's something I've really kind of tried this last month is to get better at listening and definitely having been kind of in these moments that you were talking about with darkness it, it makes you more empathetic because as soon as you go in there you're like oh my goodness if anyone else has been there I know exactly what it feels like let's talk you know um, and being a good listener means genuinely caring about what the other person is saying and having compassion and that is so rare these days um, with with our smartphones as well the distractions it's so rare to have someone who will genuinely listen to you um uh, it's you know it's rarer than it should be is what i should say because uh, if we're lucky enough we should have friends in our lives that would and i'm certain people would listen if you told them that you were in this place but that's why i think for me a therapist was just incredibly useful because i had someone who was a professional who was in you know very good at listening it was their job and you can talk through anything and everything with a therapist and in talking you are articulating the inner chaos and when the inner chaos gets articulated you are ordering it you can make sense of it and you can move forward you gain a sense of relief you gain clarity and it's the most incredible thing that clarity because everything happens for a reason you are depressed you are feeling pain you are anxious it is all for a reason and you can decipher what that reason is and once you decipher it you can move forward and you can experience everything that is there already the love well maybe i'm speaking from a privileged position because the love was there for me and i'd like to think it's that everyone has access to some love um but I don't know. Um, all I know is that for me now, it's been revolutionary, this mindset that you're talking about. And just, I think that's a great place to pro- possibly finish. What do you reckon, Neil? Do you have anything yeah, else? You'd like just to one thing is, yeah. okay, so you, the thing is, you know, yourself, when we're suffering from our mental health problems, we don't think there's anything worthwhile in our life. Our life isn't worthwhile. So we hear about writing gratitude, right? And this is a tool I, 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 I give to all all pe- my co- my clients as well as uh, on corporate talks, something they can take away straight away. It is f- hard to say, oh, geez, what's this gratitude? Writing down three things. 
first of all, I wouldn't do gratitude every day because it just becomes, uh, uh, it does become a habit in a sense, but you lose the, 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 um, the grow up for it, we would say in Ireland, the, the, uh, it, it doesn't have the same impact. So what I call it is benefit finding, okay? So if I said to you, so for example, say uh, my nephew, when, when I meet him every day, uh, he gives me a big hug, all right? So if I took that away, if I sat down here and said, okay, I take that away, my, my nephew never hugs me anymore. Do I miss it? Yeah, without question. So what am I grateful for? I'm grateful for that hug every day. Okay, so you look at your life, take something away from your life. So Will, you give us an example, something in your life. So, okay, say for example, uh, I don't know, give me something that you that happens in your life every day, even a coffee in the morning. Do you know, give right, me right, yeah, no, that, that coffee, coffee in the morning is a good one. Yeah, yeah. Do you you love your coffee in the morning. Why do you like your coffee in the morning? Because it makes me feel good. <laughs> And I suppose it gives you a few minutes to be on your own and just sit there and chill out. Right, right? reflect and you get that yeah. buzz. It's a, yeah, I look forward to it from the previous yeah. evening. Exactly. I love my breakfast in the morning where I, I've done a bit of work already. Come down, sit down and sit on my own. And if I didn't have that time, take that coffee away. Would you miss it? 100%. Would you, are you grateful for that, say, 10 minutes having your coffee on your own in the morning? Well, I'm grateful when I think about it. Yeah, when I think about yeah, it now in go. hindsight, yes. So my point is, if people are finding it hard to find what they're grateful for in their life, just the simple things, it could be your kid looking out the window when you come back from work, you know, just even that first, you pull in the driver in the car and you see the child at the window, something simple like that. Yeah. Or it's the hello when you walk into the office and it, the receptionist says hello to you every morning. What if they didn't say hello to you? And then what I do is I write, write down three gratitudes. So I usually do it on a Monday, Wednesday and Friday evening. So before I go to bed, because my brain is wired then to think positive thoughts and it feeds into the next day, okay? But what I do is I write on a piece of paper and I ask why. Don't just write it. So I, that's why I asked you why. The coffee will. You like it because it gives you time on your own to reflect and kind of just a downtime. So write the one-liner with it on a piece of paper, tear it out, put it into a jar. Keep putting all your gratitudes into the jar. So someday you need some quick bit of positivity or something to change your focus, take one out of the jar, a ready-made gratitude, read it, why, have to think about it, put it back in the jar. That's beautiful. That's my benefit finding. Ah, oh, man. That's so useful. Yeah, a tool that people might find useful because it is really, if you are in a dark spot, it's a case of, in a sense, you could say rewiring your thought process and catching yeah. those bad thoughts, those negative patterns, showing them compassion because they're there for a reason. And that's the other thing. It's like all these yeah. parts of you, they make a beautiful, interesting human full of just shades of all sorts of colors. And I think the self-love extends to those dark parts as well as the, the, the light okay. parts. And it all starts with making sense of why. I'll finish on one point. I fantasize a lot. You know, I've got an overactive imagination and I don't like that part. Well, I didn't like that part of myself. I was kind of like, oh, I could just, you know, get in the real world, Will. Stop fantasizing because it has an effect on relationships. It just makes me feel like I don't like the present moment. But I began to realize there's a reason for my fantasizer part. It's because like when I was on holiday as a kid, 
with my family who I'm now you know connecting with more than ever but back then it was a broken family and I felt so alone when I was with them even more alone when I was with them because we all felt alone yeah and the love was lost in translation for whatever reason but I would fantasize as a source of protection as a kid. I did what I needed to do. I would fantasize, I would sit in my bed feeling so lonely and I would fantasize about whatever, listen to music. So that overactive imagination was a, I I can show it compassion because it protected me. It was there for me as a kid. It made me get through those years, Um, but I don't need it anymore. I don't need it as much anymore, I should say. You know, when I'm writing or whatever it is, it could be great, but I can control it. I can have I can manage it better rather than let it control me and that's where these practices these tools that you're talking about with gratitude everything it all comes to knowing yourself better and then once you know yourself better you can shift yourself in a different direction not the path of despair and self-sabotage but rather the path of gratitude fulfillment compassion and just kind of sheer joy at moments for being here and existing and for having those those moments where you hug your nephew or you go for a walk in the park and you can just take a deep breath and think this didn't need to happen you know I could have killed myself 10 years ago 12 years ago but I didn't and I'm so grateful for this opportunity now to live um and it's beautiful man it's beautiful listen it's been so great chatting to you man I, I have to get you on again in the future but if there's any final yeah. things you want to say, please do. But other than that, it's just been such a great sort of, uh, yeah, it's been great to get you on. Yeah, just one thing is just, you know, make one change. I and mean, the one change could be have a bit of fun. I don't think we have fun in our lives either every day because we're consumed in work or travel to work. And fun could be, as you just said, have one cup of coffee a day for you. Do something fun for yourself. Read a few pages of a book, but do something that's fun for you. And as well, if anybody does ever want to contact me or have questions, I'm very open to chatting with people. And on my on my Facebook page, I just try to give value, just stuff that I've gone through and information and little tools that people can use. So if they want to utilize that as well, work ahead. All right. Oh, man. Thank you so much, Neil. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Well, yeah, we'll speak soon, really I'm good. sure. <laughs> and best of luck with it. Thank you very much for everything. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Neil. So there we go. That was episode two of Into the Void. I really hope you found it interesting and perhaps useful. For anyone that's in need of talking to someone, I have signposted the Samaritans number in the episode description. But thank you so much for listening. And we have plenty of very exciting guests to come. So do subscribe if you enjoyed and I'll see you soon. Bye everyone.